Thanks for clicking play on PageCast, a book-centered podcast series brought to you by Jonathan Ball Publishers. In this episode, Cape Talk presenter Pippa Hudson interviews Carrie Lloyd, author of You Are Not Alone, and the creator and host of Grievecast. In You Are Not Alone, Carrie reflects on her own grief, the grief of others, and the psychology and science behind how our society deals with death and loss. She also explores the different ways in which grief can be sad, surprising, awkward, tender, and sometimes funny when you least expect it. Inspired by her own grief mistakes and lessons, and from the profound and witty insights from her incredible guests, including Philippa Perry, Isabel Allende, Nish Kumar, and Marion Keyes, Carriot provides a roadmap for all of us. For anyone who has felt lost in grief, who wants to help someone struggling, or just wants to better understand this life. Enjoy the episode. We may talk about common stages of grief, but everybody experiences them in their own way, in their own time, in their own order. There isn't really a roadmap for dealing with loss. And my guest today knows this very well because she's not only been there herself, she spent the last seven years talking to others about their experience of grief on a very successful podcast called Griefcast. It's won several awards in the UK. It's been described as having changed the way we speak about grief. And it's been downloaded over three and a half million times. That gives you an idea of just how significant it is. Now, its creator is Cariad Lloyd, a British comedian and actor who has just released a new book inspired by the series. It's called You Are Not Alone, and it's partly a memoir of her own story, partly a roadmap to help others navigate loss as much as there can ever be a roadmap. And it's a great pleasure to have Cariad with us via Zoom from the UK. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Carrie, I mean, you write at the start of your book about the moment everything changed when you lost your dad when you were only 15 years old and how ever since you've seen your life as divided in two parts. There's the part before your dad died and the part afterwards. I'm sure a lot of people are nodding their heads relating to that sense of a moment of such immense loss that it kind of creates a crevasse in the middle of your life. As a teenager, did you have the space to to face that, to talk about it honestly, to process what was happening in the immediate aftermath? Were there people around you you could talk to? Uh, Yeah, I mean, there there were, there were. But I think the big thing, as I say in the book, is you just don't have the vocabulary as a teenager when something like that happens to you. So I think that's, it's pretty common what happened to me that, you know, something like this happens when you're a teenager, you spend your 20s sort of trying to act like it wasn't a big deal. And then in your 30s, you think, hang on a minute, (laughs) what just happened? Yeah, as much as you can have support at that time, it's, it's a lot to process. And I think, unfortunately, it's not that time heals, but that time affords you a better view of what just happened to you. Mm. So is that what prompted you to start the Griefcast podcast? It was back in 2016, I think. Yeah, it was in 2016. And I it was the birth of podcasts, certainly in the UK, with comedians. Yep. And so I just one day was walking along and I thought to myself, you know, if I had a podcast, it would probably be talking to people about death. And then I thought, well, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> no one will listen. And I sort of tried to put the idea away, but it just kept coming back and so yeah I I sort of thought by 2016 I guess I was in my mid-30s and I thought I think I am ready to talk about this with people and only people who get it who've been through other experiences 
Carrie, the, the point is, though, there's so many of those people. I mean, this is, as you describe it in the book, the club nobody wants to join. But the reality is that all of us are going to join it eventually. Everybody will be confronted with a loss or a death of some kind amongst those they love at some point in their life. It's inevitable. And yet, you would think, given that fact that it is such a universal experience, we would talk about it all the time. Why do you think there's still so much hesitance to talk about it? I think we still have this slightly like primal belief that if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. And I think it kind of makes sense when you think about, you know, how we began as a, literally millions of years ago, like if somebody was sick and they had died, then, that you know, they might have a disease and they might be, it might be dangerous to your community. But I think we've still got that locked in our heads that we can somehow outrun it. If we don't think about it, it won't happen to us. There's nobody who's going to escape it. Like, it's, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> it's just one of the guarantees of life. So I do find it strange that we don't talk about it more. And I think it's so wrapped up in fear fear of um, making other people upset or fear of upsetting ourselves and just you know because almost because it is inevitable I think people feel like well I, I'm not going to deal with it because mm. I don't in a way it will happen regardless if I do or I don't So I'm just going to choose not to look at it too closely for now. And as you say, so often it's a case of, well, I feel like I should say something, but I don't really know what to say to make it better. And of course, as your book points out, there is no making it better. There is no right thing to say or right thing to do or right way to grieve for that matter. It's, uh, you know, it's different for every person, isn't it? I mean, I'm sure after all these years of talking about it in and out with so many people, that's the one thing you've realized. It's not the same for any two people. No, not at all. It, it, well, you know, as I say in the book, grief is completely unique. And you can see that with siblings, you know, even siblings will grieve the same parent differently. I've had twins on the show who grieve differently. Mm. It's a completely unique experience and it's based on your relationship with the person who is gone. And so there is, when you accept that, you can accept there's all these places on the journey that we do meet and I can, I can empathize with you and I can understand. But also at the same, in the same breath, I suppose, I can accept that I will grieve very differently to the way that you may need to grieve. And so therefore there isn't a right way to grieve. Mm. And we need to hold that when we're trying to help people because we also need to realize there's not a right thing to say. There isn't a one sentence fits all that will make everybody happy. You know, some people are very affectionate and very happy with the phrase, I'm sorry for your loss. Some people hate it. You know, the most you can do is keep saying to the person like, look, I'm I'm here, I'm here for you. Mm. Carrie, very interesting section for me to read with the comments about how as a society, in some degrees, we've moved away from the sort of ritualistic ways of accepting and facing grief that where once in like for example you give the example of Victorian times you know there were set rituals that would follow a death in the family there was a a kind of a structure which in some ways provided security and a place of safety and predictability at a time where everything else had sort of gone into the wind and obviously in some cultures that's very much still there but in others it's been very much lost do you think that is um, a loss to the people going through grief to not have any longer a sense of well for a certain number of days you will behave in this way you will dress in this way people will visit and interact with you in this way and then it will move into the next phase uh, do you think that that was helpful to, to some people at least yeah I, I mean i do i think it's interesting because as you said some cultures some religions still have very strict rituals mm. around grief and and death and, and funerals and the timeline and i certainly think when i speak to people who have from a community that has those rituals still, they definitely say, you know, there's a sense of support. There's a sense of feeling like you didn't have to think about it. It was it was done for you and your community kind of sweeps in and, and, and sort of says to you, right, this is what we're going to do for the next seven days. Yeah. But the one thing I think we all fall down on, regardless of 
community or religion is is after that you know once the rituals are done um what then yeah and i think if you if you have a community without a ritual you're sort of struggling from the beginning you're sort of in the deep end trying to swim but the people who do have the rituals often say well it was after that done and everyone packed the stuff up and said well you're done now that they felt like oh well, i'm still sad yeah and so i think we really need to get better at letting people be sad for as long as they need to be sad and that you know that is years that's a lifelong process so i do think the rituals are kind of a good handhold for the beginning but mm. um it doesn't always help in the long term um, Carrie, you're a comedian how how much does humor help do you think in your case was it something you could use as a tool to help you process deal or death or maybe to help you deflect your grief for a while do you think it does play a role yeah i do i really do and i mean i think my family definitely used it even you know when i when my dad was dying we were using humor as a complete <laughs> coping mechanism um whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Psychotherapists would disagree. But <laughs> I think it's, um, for me, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. And what I noticed when I started the grief cast is I was interviewing comedians at the beginning and all of us would make jokes and say, this is how we survived it. We laughed in the face of it and the absurdity of it. It doesn't mean that you're happy the person died, of course not, but you can use humor as a way to kind of remind you that you're you're still here like laughing i think you literally have to draw more breath in and you literally have to get more oxygen in as you start laughing and i do think there's something again in the brain that's trying to remind you look you're still you're still here mm. you have to keep living um and i what i realized when i did the grief cast is so many listeners would contact me and say oh you know me too like we've always felt so guilty about laughing but we also used it i think we all do in you know really terrible situations traumatic situations and I think it's quite a human reaction to use humour as a survival technique mm. um, and I think we all feel guilty about it and what I wanted to kind of highlight was like don't feel bad we're all doing this mm -hmm. it's like it's something very human to kind of because death is so absurd. It's such an absurd thing that someone is there and then they're not. And so I think there's absolutely again there's no wrong way to do it. If that's what's working for you and it's helping you absolutely fine you know obviously mm. if you're laughing hysterically and you're not taking in what's happened to you that's bad but i think it's okay to use humor as a way to remind yourself you're still here and that reminder you extend sort of into the future towards the end of your book if i may i just want to share a quote with our listeners that really struck me in the way you wrote about the sort of the possibility of imagining a place beyond the extreme grief. You write the following, if you're reading this and you're new to the club, don't let my 20 plus years of grief scare you. I'm happier now than I ever thought possible. I have lived and lived and lived and carried all the grief with me and actually it's been fine. Never easy, but honestly fine. You will get through this. You will find things to smile about. Your heart won't always hurt. You'll have good times again. You will because we do. Just look at the evidence of what people can get through. That's the answers you need right there. Um, you made me think when I read that uh, of a friend saying to me how she felt guilty the first time she found herself enjoying something. It was a meal in a restaurant in her case, really enjoying herself yeah. on a dinner out not long after the loss of her parent and saying how she had, you know, one minute she was going, oh, this food is amazing, this wine is wonderful, and the next minute she was sitting there in tears because she'd suddenly sort of reminded herself, I'm not supposed to be happy do I allow myself to be happy? Is that something that, that resonates with what guests have said to you over the years? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. And myself included. And, you know, as I, I talk about in the book, like we have this idea from the five stages model mm. that, you know, you're supposed to be in grieving for a certain amount of time. And during that time, you shouldn't be happy. And what is considered, you know, a much more 
commonplace theory, much more accepted theory these days is called dual process. And in dual process, it literally says what grief is, is, you know, the crying, wailing bit. And then the bit where you are sort of fine and you're going out and you're living your life and you oscillate between these two processes of grieving and more restoration orientated um, activities. And it's really important that you allow yourself to go between those two because, you know, stuck in too much of one is equally a bad thing again it's moderation and i think we all have to forgive ourselves and allow ourselves like you can't grow your life around the grief without living Mm. (laughs) without having those experiences that are positive but it doesn't mean that you didn't love them or you didn't care about them it's just literally how your brain processes grief you can't constantly be weeping you know eventually you need to eat or go to the loo (laughs) so I think that's a thing that comes up a lot is the guilt of feeling like we said earlier, like there's a right way to do this and it looks like this. And and most of that, as I said, is is inherited from old theories or, you know, countries that aren't perhaps even your country. Like, so you can, we can sweep the board a bit with all these things we've inherited and go, well, what, what do I need now? My last question to you is really from a personal perspective, how you look back on the podcast series and now on putting this book out into the world. I mean, what a tremendous honor to your dad and how much you love him to have inspired this body of work. What do you think he would make of it all? <laughs> I think he'd be very pleased that I'm uh, writing about him. I think he'd be very pleased that um, hmm. he's getting a you know a little mention. <laughs> but as I say in the book, you know, I think what's important to, to to state is that we had a really complicated relationship and we didn't really get on, especially at that time. And I think it's really important for people to know, like, you know, grief doesn't always look simple. It doesn't always look like I love that person so wonderfully and they knew it and that's all it is and now I'm sad. It's It can be really, really complicated. And it's taken me a long, long time to process that journey of where we were because I was a teenager and we hadn't resolved a lot of things. Yeah. And I think it's okay for people to know, like, grief is a long, lifelong process, but that doesn't mean it has to be, you know, 100% bleak. It's not. It's just it is complicated. Well, thank you for helping to make sense of the mess as you've done so well, both through the book and through the podcast series. Carriad Lloyd, great to have you on the show this afternoon. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Carriad is the author of You Are Not Alone. It is available in South Africa via Jonathan Ball Publishers, costing about 350 rand in paperback. You Are Not Alone is the name of the book. Uh, the podcast, if you're looking for it, is Griefcast, and you can find the link to download it via Carriad's website, which is carriadlloyd.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of PageCast. We love hearing from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, please contact us at pagecastpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading and listening.